0: Hello and welcome to a spring edition of the Royal Horticultural Society Gardening Podcast. What a strange few weeks of weather we've had, very confusing for gardeners and for plants. I'm Guy Barter. Despite the changeable weather, the longer days and glimpses of bud and blossom, it can't help but fill garden lovers with excitement. I, for one, can't wait to get outside and get growing. So today's podcast is all about practical get-your-hands-or-gloves-dirty advice we're heading outside to join the garden teams hard at work in the beds, borders and propagation houses to get inspiration for jobs to make the garden flourish this year. Plus, we'll hear about a brand new initiative to help schools and young people to harness the power of plants and get growing in 2018. And remember, there's no need to go searching for a pen. You can find links to information on all the items in today's podcast on our webpage. See rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast so let's meet the rhs garden experts
1: hello there i'm bernard boardman i work for the edibles team here at wisley and my main responsibilities are for the orchard and the vineyard well what a funny start to the year we've had it's been mild and everything seemed to be moving then we had a blast from the east which I'm sure everybody's fed up with hearing about and then it went mild again and then we've just had some more snow so we've been trying to plant trees but we haven't quite finished planting our bare rooted trees it's it's not panic stations yet uh, we're still we're midway through March heading for April and traditionally, of course, a lot of garden work went on around Easter time because that's when the workers had their time off. So there's no reason uh, to get worried just yet because this cold weather has delayed things and our pears, which were well on the move, have suddenly put the brakes on again. I'm sure a few warm days and they'll pick up. And I expect some people have got flowers on their pears in sort of more sheltered spots but ours are heading in the right direction. On the gardening front, the actual practical stuff, get the bare-rooted plants in as soon as you can, but there's no need to panic yet. The ground's still pretty cold, so if you've just be aware of these frosty mornings and maybe delay dashing out there as soon as you've had your breakfast, just let the ground warm up a little bit. Or, Or if you know, on friday that you're going to be gardening on saturday cover the soil up friday evening before you have to set to. and not just you know if you can get your hands on some straw that's great a couple of layers of fleece an old sack it's great you can cover the ground over and then you can get going straight away so um, there's planting to do if you haven't uh, thinned out some of the older spurs on train trees, you've still got plenty of time to do that. The seed companies are still taking orders and we will be happy to receive your money if you want to buy vegetable seeds and um, any other um, interesting um, thing plants that you have your eye on. Uh, the nurseries will be only too willing to sell you trees. We've got some um, hedging plants coming. Um, I hope by the end of this week we decided fairly late on that we were going to plant a mixed hedge um, out in part, part of the orchard and both uh, hedging plants are coming and it'll be fine. We'll get those um, put in fairly swiftly and they can move away with the spring. I mean the birds think it's spring you can probably hear the odd one twittering away in the background.
2: My name is Sam Gallivan and I'm the team leader of the nursery and propagation team at Wisley. At the moment we are stood up in the glass houses where we produce plants uh, for the garden. At the moment up in propagation we're starting to do a lot more seed sowing now. So we're looking at sowing some of the early veg, so leeks, onions. We are also producing a cauliflower trial for the trials field here at Wisley. So we've just sewn those, and they're just starting to pop their heads up this week. So we'll be pricking those out next week. And also we will be looking at stocking up on some of the tender perennials that we propagated last year. We've got them through the winter in one of our heated glasshouses. To say we were quiet during the winter months, uh, we weren't really actually. For this year, what we have been producing, we've been potting about 24,000 heathers for the new heather garden down in our Howard's Field where the heather collection is. It's having a total redesign. The new team leader down there, Mark Tewson, they've they've put a design together. We had a propagator who propagated them for us because we just don't quite have enough room for 24,000 and we have potted them all up so they've come in as plugs and we've potted them into a one litre to be planted out this year. We will be in the next couple of weeks uh, sowing aubergines because we have a, a large aubergine trial this year and also we have a very large marigold trial as well this year, 145 entries give or take, and they are going to be the people's choice this year down on the trials field. So all those sorts of things that
3: you would do for your back garden, we're just doing it on a larger scale. My name is Dr Hayley Jones and I'm an entomologist at the RHS. There's a few things you can think about quite early in the season to try and uh, minimise the amount of pests you have. Before you start sowing any seedlings or anything like that, it's really important to clean your glass house thoroughly. So you can use a kind of a garden disinfectant to clean all the hard surfaces and make sure you've really swept out any plant debris or anything like that that could be harbouring pests. Then starting to think about the coming season, One of the things that's good to think about early on is whether you can encourage any natural predators and parasites in your garden, like hedgehogs and birds. These can be encouraged by, for hedgehogs it's cutting a little gateway in your fence to try and link up your garden with the surrounding gardens because hedgehogs need quite a big territory. For the birds, you can think about putting food out for them. It's best if you can put food out all year round to really encourage them in your garden and in the winter when they need it most, but it's never too late to start. You could even think about putting some bedding material out of them, such as short lengths of hair off of your hairbrush, or pet fur, as long as your pet hasn't been treated with flea treatments. Another great option for natural pest control is things like frogs. And the best thing you can do to encourage frogs and a lot of wildlife, really, in your garden is install a pond. This doesn't have to be very big. It could be as small as a a washing up tub sunk into the ground. The bigger, the better. You don't want any fish in this pond if it's for wildlife because they'll eat the frog spawn and stop them establishing there. But yeah, a pond is really a great option. The big thing you should really be doing to plan for the coming season is to think about what control options you're going to use in the season ahead. In agriculture, we have the technique that's called integrated pest management, and that's more and more being applied to horticulture and to home gardens as well. And what this means is rather than relying on one reactive measure, for example, seeing slugs, and putting down slug pellets, you instead plan ahead and you think about how you can combine multiple control measures so that you're not so reliant on pesticides. So in the case of slugs, this is going to be planning when and where you're going to sow your seedlings. Could you protect them with a cloche or with a mulch? And then once the weather is warm enough, could you use a biological control? For slugs, it's the nematode product many biological control options aren't even compatible with pesticides because they're living creatures that may be killed by pesticides so you really need to create your strategy that's going to be tailored to your garden conditions and the plants you want to grow um, and what measures you hope to use there so this is really you know this might even be a real pen and paper exercise planning out what you're going to do and when
0: thanks to our rhs garden experts But whatever jobs you're undertaking in your plot, pot or allotment, please remember to take simple safety precautions to avoid injury. Make sure a scratch or prick from a rose thorn doesn't turn into something far more serious. Lee Hunt from the RHS Gardening Advice Team has some useful tips.
4: Today we're talking about health issues in the garden This follows some very high-profile media coverage, including things like the archers and viewers of Call the Midwife will have noticed that sepsis has been very much in the news recently. So do we need to worry about this as gardeners? The overall message is, it's really just being aware and being cautious in the garden, as well as things like sepsis, just things like tools, Um, whether you're cutting with shears and secateurs, can be dangerous in their own right. So this is just like the added layer of things to be aware of. With sepsis, it can be things like infected cuts, and then that might result in initially things like high temperatures, um, high heart rate, fast breathing and eventually confusion and disorientation so the symptoms are not that distinctive um, and it's just to be aware that if you have been out in the garden and perhaps cut yourself that to watch out for those sort of things which could be confused with a cold. If you are at all concerned, thing to do really is to go and see your GP or if it's more serious pop into any and find out for sure. While sepsis has been the main thing in the news Uh, There's lots of other things that perhaps are also common threats in the garden. Tetanus or lockjaw is one of the ones that we tend to get a jab up for uh, and that's readily available from the doctor. Sometimes we boost us every sort of decade or so. Viles disease is another one which sounds like something we shouldn't encounter but rat urine is a major carrier of that and sometimes we find rats make their home in things like compost heaps so turning regularly and trying to make it less hospitable by in some cases putting netting in at the bottom such as chicken wire doubled over will help discourage if not completely prevent and it's just regular turning. Overall then all we're looking about is being aware it is about if you've got open cuts make sure that they are covered up or plastered, wear your gloves Make sure you've got a good stout pair of boots because we don't want anything like rusty tools going through your foot accidentally. Also for things like sunburn, long sleeves are great. The other thing that we haven't mentioned, of course, is that some plants are irritant. So by wearing these things standardly um, for gardening, it'll also protect against irritant plants as well. Lots of things to get worried and het up about. I think the good news is that most people do very well to get out in the garden and enjoy the benefits. It's not about worrying about the death trap that you're about to step into. But with these few extra steps, we can just protect us from these rare occasions where we are exposed to more harm.
0: Lee Hunt, rounding up today's spring seasonal advice. As we mentioned before there's links to more information on our podcast page on the rhs website there you can also find links to events and activities for you to enjoy in coming weeks including the delicious unmissable lint golden bunny hunt which is back at all four rhs gardens this easter hop through the garden on the trail of the lint golden bunny following the clues to lead you to a delicious treat what's more it's free with normal garden entry and there's lots more activities for children to enjoy during the school holidays. Now, an exciting new initiative has just been launched to encourage and support the next generation of gardeners. I Can Grow is a brand new RHS scheme to encourage young people to harness the power of plants in varied and exciting ways in projects around the country. And our experts and resources are here to support them. We met up with the appropriately named Fuchsia Wilkins to learn more.
5: It's the 10th anniversary year of the campaign for school gardening this year. We have launched a new project which is called I Can Grow. I Can Grow is a project that's designed to empower young people and allow them to create a campaign using the power of plants to shout about environmental and social issues that they feel really strongly about. So we're asking them to sign up for a free inspiration pack which will give them lots of information about four different themes which we're asking them to focus on and get behind the special causes. And those themes are gardening for wildlife, gardening for well-being, gardening in a changing climate and growing the food that's on your plate. We're really excited at the moment because our School Gardeners of the Year Awards are open for entries. It's a competition that we've been running for quite a few years now and is always very popular. There are three categories for nominees. We're looking for Young School Gardeners of the Year. That can be um, pupils aged 5 to 16 who are inspirational gardeners and inspire others to grow. We're looking for School Gardening Champions, so that could be an educator who really gets young people into gardening. And we're also looking for exceptional School Gardening teams. Uh, Last year's winner of Young School Gardener of the Year was 10-year-old Fraser White from Dersey Primary School in Fife. He used to find school a really difficult place to be, and he suffered from anger issues. But he found an outlet in the garden and it helped him to control his temper and to make friends and to teach others how to grow. and he, he got a lot of confidence from that, so he was a very worthy winner. The deadline for nominations is Wednesday, the 25th of April. And prizes include national gardening gift vouchers, tools and seeds for your school, Gabriel Ash uh, luxury greenhouses and cold grains, and all winners receive a visit from TV gardener presenter um, Francis Tophill as well to do a day of gardening in, in their school.
0: Some very exciting opportunities for budding young gardeners. We'll be bringing you updates on the awards and visiting some of the projects being undertaken in I Can Grow in future podcasts. Well, that's almost all we have time for in this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. But before we go, here's the last in the current series of botanist James Armitage's series of Plant Encounters. Over the last year, he's been bringing us portraits of some of the more unusual plants in Wisley's collections and revealing their weird and wonderful stories.
6: When it comes to horticultural superstars, they don't come any bigger or more brilliant than Edward Augustus Bowles. Born in 1865, at the height of the Victorian era, Bowles, or Gussie as he was known to his friends, drew his first breath in the family home where he was to spend the rest of his days, Middleton House in Enfield, Middlesex. Here he developed one of the finest gardens in the country and devoted much of the rest of his time to painting, contributing to the social good, and writing. His three most famous books, My Garden in Spring, My Garden in Summer, and My Garden in Autumn and Winter, are classics of gardening literature. An aspect of his personality that comes through very clearly in his written works is his love of the bizarre, and this enthusiasm had its supreme expression in an area of his garden known as the Lunatic Asylum. Here he grew all the freaks and weirdos of the plant world, the mutants and anomalies, with parts missing or hideously developed almost beyond recognition. Among these, there exists an unacknowledged champion, the incomparably strange corkscrew hazel, Coralis Avellana contorta. The history of this ornamental monstrosity, which was the first plant Bowles had sectioned in his asylum, is variously reported. The story usually involves an ecclesiastical gentleman, strong drink, a bicycle, and a close encounter with a hedgerow. However, for a true version of events, the most reliable source is probably Bowles himself, who states that the plant was found by Lord Ducey in a hedgerow near Tortworth. This would probably be Henry John Reynolds Morton, 3rd Earl of Juicy, liberal politician and keen plantsman who created a fine house and garden at Tortworth Court in South Gloucestershire. Bowles then relates that, having been propagated by layering and passed about among some persons of the gardening elite, his plant at Middleton House was received from his mentor, Canon Henry Nicholson Ellicom, one of a line of great gardening clerics. Since then, Carlos Avalana Contorta has grown in popularity and become a fairly common garden plant, to such an extent that it is hard to imagine now what an extraordinary oddity it must have seemed in the years after its discovery. Bowles evokes it as... A collection of various curves and spirals a tangle of crooks and corkscrews from root to tip and this is a characteristically vivid and accurate description it is fitting that such an absurdly slapstick plant as the corkscrew hazel should find fame on the music hall stage which happened when it was adopted as a theatrical prop by the vaudevillian harry lauder earning it another common name harry lauder's walking stick ea Bowles died on 7th may 1954 a week before his 89th birthday. Having given so much of his life to the cause of horticulture and served on a number of RHS committees, the Royal Horticultural Society was eager to commemorate his life in a fitting way. Work was begun on Bowles's Corner, a small area given over to the cast of misfits and oddballs that had populated the asylum. Pride of place was given to a specimen of Corlis avellana contorta, and a fine plant of it still grows there today, among a riot of upright ivies and yellow-fruited stinking iris with a mandrake among its roots. Bowles was not the only person connected with the story of the corkscrew hazel to make a ripe old age. Its discoverer, Henry Reynolds Morton, died in 1921, aged 94, while Canon Ellicom went the way of all flesh on 7th February 1916, 11 days shy of his 95th birthday. James
0: Armitage You can listen to the other plants encountered in his series, plus the illustrations, photos and find more information on our podcast page at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Well, that's all for today. We'll be back in a fortnight. Till then, from me, Guy Barter, and all the podcast team, goodbye and may the sun smile on you.